0: Okay. Okay. This is Bridges for Music.
1: This episode, we have a very special guest that needs no introduction. Ed Sheeran visited the Bridges Academy during his tour in South Africa in 2019. And we are honored to be able to share with you the recording from that workshop, moderated by Trenton Birch. Please enjoy the conversation with Ed Sheeran. So, uh, without further ado, let's please give a very loud, warm African welcome to uh, Ed Sheeran. Hello. I heard you you have a show tonight.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: A bit bigger than this. (laughs) A few more people.
0: Yeah. How's everyone doing? Everyone good? Yeah. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I
1: think think firstly, I just want to say I I can't believe you offered to do this. So I really want to say... That wasn't planned, (laughs) not really. So just to give you some context so you don't think it's all craziness, um, these guys are what we call gumboot dancers. I think in England they're Wellington boots, yeah? yeah. So this was uh, based on traditional dance that was done in the mines. Um, South Africa has a history with mining and so this is a traditional dance and these guys are from the local community. So we thought we'd show you a bit of local culture.
0: Thank you, that was wonderful, really nice.
1: Right, so I was saying I can't believe you're here, I still can't believe you're here, um, and we really really appreciate your time. I know you got you know you're on shows tonight shows tomorrow night you've come from Joburg <laughs> shows shows so to be uh, to have come to this this school and project that we've all been working to make a positive change to you know sort of d- developing communities in our country it means a lot to us. So I really want to thank you for coming. Thank
0: you so much. It's such a, a from what I've seen it looks really wonderful. You guys are doing some cool stuff. We're getting there.
1: We're getting yeah. there. So I just wanted to, um, somebody said to me earlier that uh, sometimes you don't sleep before shows. You didn't sleep before Glastonbury and before Wembley. and Is that true? And I was just wondering if it
0: is. If you, if you, did you sleep last night? Uh, no, I slept last night. Um, it's a, yeah, I kind of, Glastonbury and Wembley, were the two like, biggest things that I'd done. Um, so I didn't really sleep before them. But uh, yeah, and ever since then, it's kind of just got a little bit easier.
1: Yeah. Is that from nerves? Or was it from nerves?
0: I think so. Yeah, but I think you know, like I'd never before Wembley. I'd never played a stadium before, and I think um, once you do it enough times, it starts. You start kind of adjusting to it. I think.
1: So you've. You, you, I saw you play on the uh, Global Citizen. Uh, yeah. Was that your
0: first time to South Africa? Yeah. Okay. Very and, first time. And I, know, I know. It took. It took me a while to get down here. So thank you for everyone being patient.
1: And I know. I know. It's always a horrible country, uh, question when you parachute into a country and parachute out, but. What's your take on what you've seen and experienced? Because you've been here almost a week now, you've been here before. Have you managed to absorb any of the culture? Do you have an
0: opinion on, yeah, on what I you think, see? Yeah, I think, I mean the food here is another level. It's like a It's start. An- another level. It's a good start. It's amazing. Um, I've, I, I, you know, I, w- when I was here for the Global Citizen, more so for that than this time, I was exposed to a bit more of South African music because we, there were so many people on the bill that were from South Africa. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, t- it's, it's an amazing. My, my parents are here on holiday, they came for my mum's birthday and uh, they said it's been their favourite holiday they've ever been on as well. They loved all the safaris and meeting everyone and just the culture here is just, yeah, people are very friendly.
1: That's a good thing. Um, what we normally do in these uh, workshops is, you know, talk about your career and how you got there. There's a lot of artists uh, in, the, in the room, producers, people in the industry, oh. we're a developing industry so we're always trying to extract knowledge and information. Um, so I'm, I'm keen to know more about, you know, how, how you how you got into music, and and especially, you know, in light of us being in a school, how your how how being at school influenced you. I know you were you were ripped off about being a redhead, and you know <laughs> uh, whether that was boring or bullying or not, I don't know. I'm interested to, to know, but but how how you how you found music, and and what were the triggers to get you started?
0: Uh, well, I think I think probably like any kid, I would just hit things when I was, you know, you'd, you'd have like a little drum or something like that, I guess that's how I was first started being sort of musical, but um, it was more more so, I didn't really, I wasn't good at anything at all, like I wasn't good at maths or English or science, So I was always like less than average, uh, couldn't really play sport, uh, but I really enjoyed playing music, and I was never like great at music, but I just really enjoyed it, and I I, I didn't enjoy anything else, so I was like you know, if I, I might as well do something I enjoy even if I'm not good at it. And then because I enjoyed it, I practiced more. You know, I wouldn't go out, I'd stay in my room and practice guitar and then I got better and better and better at it. And then, uh, yeah, I just, I didn't really think it could be a job because it's, you know, you're kind of taught as a kid that you shouldn't really enjoy jobs. Jobs should just be like a chore. You should get up in the morning, you should go to work and it should be a thing that you should... So I just always was like... I'll get a job and then I'll play music on the side. And then I remember when I was fifteen years old doing a gig and getting paid twenty pounds, which you know I had a Saturday job. That's a lot it, in rands. Yeah. So, um, uh, but I, I would do a Saturday job cleaning in a pub and I would make like fifteen pounds. And I was like, I played a show and got paid twenty, and I enjoyed it. And it, you know, it was just me singing songs. So it was from then I was like, I can make a living out of this, even if, you know, it's like it's not a great living, I can still get by just playing music. So from then I kind of lost interest in school and just focused on music.
1: Um, I read a quote that you said that uh, in this day and age, it's a great time for kids to be a bit weird.
0: Yeah, well, I think I think any, and I mean, if if you look at all the biggest musicians ever, they're all odd, they're all they're all weird looking, they're all weird personalities, they they're all d- quirky people. And uh, you know, I, I don't think I don't think anyone in the world has ever succeeded fitting in. I think you always have to go against against the grain, you know.
1: So you you discovered music when you were still at uh, at school, and then you you left home. I think it was sixteen or seventeen, and you yeah. went on the road for three years just couch surfing and traveling and tell us about that experience and how that shaped what was to become your musical career.
0: Um, well, I mean, I was a bit green, I guess, because, you know, I, I grew up in in England, the countryside is like, you know, there was like a thousand people in my town kind of thing, like really, really small and it's farming. And, you know, I'd never really been to London. London was always quite scary. You'd kind of thought in your mind, oh, you go to London, you'll get robbed. And so like my first, my It was my first experience. You know, I, I moved to London on my own. I lived above a pub with this uh, other musician girl who was really cool, um, who let me stay at her place. And then uh, I lived there for about six months, I think. And because I had nothing to do, really, I just gigged every single day, like two or three times a day. I'd just go and play. I'd go and busk. I'd go and just find things to do. Um, and, you know, being 17... In London on your own is actually quite a fun experience because you're t- seeing things all for the first time. I mean, there was some scary times, but also some times where you just learn. Um, and then, and then I moved out of that place and then started sofa surfing. Um, so I ended up actually being all over the country, not just not just London, uh, and playing different shows. And every single show I did, you know. It was I'd play some shows that no one would turn up to. I'd play some shows that were just comedy nights where you'd you'd be in between two people telling jokes. And I I played like jazz nights and soul nights. And well, I remember doing a fashion show once. That was really weird. Just standing up in the middle of the cat. So I just played anywhere that would take me basically. And through that, my performance started getting better because I was playing to so many different audiences that I could adapt to any situation. You could put me in front of any crowd and I could manage to read read the, the, the audience. And throughout this time, I was always trying to get signed by a record label because in music, you think, right, record label, I need to get signed. Being signed is when you make it. And all my friends were getting signed, and I, you know, they were all signing to these major labels, and I was like, I need to get signed, and no one wanted to sign me. Every single label turned me down time and time and time and time again, and I was holding on to all these songs that I had, and I was like, all these songs are for my debut album, I'm going to sign a record deal, I'm going put to them, put them on the debut album, and no one wanted to sign me. And time and time again, it would just be disappointment after disappointment, until one day I was just like, do you know what? Why am I waiting? Why am I waiting? There's websites you can go on. you can pay a few dollars and you can get your stuff on iTunes and Spotify and you can just upload it. So I just did that. And then when I did that, traction started to happen. I started playing headline shows where people would pay to come and see me, not just I was just gonna do an open mic night. And then so they would go from like 50 capacity to 100 capacity to 200 capacity. And then I started touring England as a headline act and then a record label came to me and said we want to sign you and then it kind of went up from there. So um a, anyone who thinks that signing to a record label is the way to go it's you, you need to make them you, yeah you yeah it's it's the best the best thing cuz then you hold all the cards. Like I know so many people that have signed to record labels and then the record label doesn't know what to do with them so they just kind of keep them for a bit and then the buzz is gone, and then it's away. So if you build up your own buzz, and then wait for a label to swoop in and take you to the next place, or just do it yourself. I mean, like, you don't really need them nowadays. With you can upload directly to Spotify now. You know, it's it's good.
1: So you, you you got quite into the whole DIY thing. That's something you focused on, just just getting it done yourself in the beginning.
0: Well, only because no one no one wanted to help. <laughs> so yeah, it was it, it was it, it was DIY, but. You know, I think I, th- I, think had there been another option, I probably would have taken it. But it, but there was no option other than to do that, and I think it was the best thing for me because also then when I started having success, uh, I, I controlled everything because it was my success that I built up, and I got to choose the songs and the videos and where I toured and who I toured with, and it's yeah, it was it was a good it was a good thing to do. I think.
1: I'm curious about your interest in hip hop. Yeah. Because um, obviously your music is not necessarily hip hop related. But, you know, the collaborations, uh, EP you put out with uh, Wiley and all the grime yeah. artists, um, what inspired you to, to sort of make that shift at that time? Because that was one of the things that obviously got you to the next level.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I li- listened to hip hop from a very, very young age, and grime music was very prevalent throughout my whole high school. And I was listening to all those, you know, I had albums of Wiley and JME and Skepta and Dizzy Rascal and all these people. And then when I moved to London, I started meeting them. And, you know, like I was some of the nights that I was playing, they were playing on as well. So I always had an idea to make a collaborations project and I just put it together bit by bit. You know, I'd go to them with a song and be like, can you feature on this? Um, And, you know, at the time I was kind of a no one. So a lot of them took a chance and thankfully it paid off.
1: I want to talk about, um, just you, you, I read that you did a, a show, in, you had a show in Camden, mm. but that so many people turned up for it just after that release that you played the show four times so you could let everybody through. Is that true?
0: Yeah, well, it was, uh, I just signed to my record label and uh, I said, you know, it's been like four years of hard work, I'm going to put on a free show for people, and I wanted to book this 1,000 capacity venue, and everyone said, no, you can't do that, you'll never get... It was a Saturday as well, it was a Saturday in-school holiday, I was like, "A 1,000 kids will turn up, I promise you, if you put on a free concert, they will turn up. They're like, no, 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 it won't happen, you have to book this small venue that fits like a couple hundred people. So we did that, and then a 1,000 kids turned up, and obviously, when you say, when you say I'm putting on a free gig, and they were all turned up and all queued, I'm not going to be like 200 of you can come in and 800 can fuck off, so I, I basically did the gig, got 200 more in, did the gig, 200 more in, did the gig, and then, and then they closed the venue, so then I had to do a gig outside <laughs> on the street afterwards, basically. Yeah, It was fun. I,
1: I, I love this story because I think it, 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 it gives an example of you know, your, your personality and persona, and, and it being about the music, you know, and yeah. about the love of the music and the audience and the connection. And I think that's a, a very admirable thing in terms of in the, in the modern day and age where it's there's a
0: distance. Sometimes quite easy to forget that though, because you know, we tour worldwide and every single venue now is a, is a stadium. And it is, it it is it, I only kind of get back to those times every now and then I'll just go and pop up and, and do a show and it really, you know, in, in like a little club and it really makes you remember that it isn't, it isn't about standing in front of 90,000 people. It's about playing with, it's about, your, your audience and you are one rather than being separated. And it, yeah, it does does take some reminding sometimes.
1: So you played um, Jamie Foxx's club as well at one point. Yeah, Again, yeah. i bring that up because that's more of a sort of urban venue as well. Mm. Is, there, is there been, are you drawn to sort of urban hip hop culture? You no, listen you, know, you
0: listen to it. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I love the culture. I love the culture. Um, but in terms of like, for me, as a white male singer songwriter in London, you know, it was at a time where like D- David Gray and James Blunt and Damien Rice and James Morrison and all these white singer-songwriters coming out. Everyone had a guitar. Everyone was doing open mic nights. I was just one in 2,000 in London every single night playing open mic nights, and it. I, I remember being at these open mic nights and being like, I'm so much worse than these people. These people are so much better than me. Like, how do I, how do I fit fit in here? And this goes back to the point of b- being weird and trying not to fit in. I started thinking, well, I should start playing places where I'll really stand out then. And so that's why I started picking hip-hop nights and comedy nights and jazz nights and soul nights. Because, you know, I would be this kind of like messy ginger hair with a tiny guitar, white boy, singing these songs, these love songs and having to win over a crowd that just didn't really, it wasn't really their, their kind of music. And I think that's what made me stand out more is basically putting myself, in, putting myself in situations that other people would probably find uncomfortable musically
1: if you would like to attend these workshops live and have access to this incredible community to meet other like-minded people you can always join us at the bridges academy in langa south africa if you want more information on how to enroll or any of our upcoming events please visit bridges-academy.org I mean, you, you, you make your journey sound really easy, but uh, f- from what I gather, from what you're saying, what I've read, is the, there's a lot of strategy in what you do. You really, you really think about what you do, it doesn't just happen. Would have saying that?
0: Certainly now, yeah, certainly now. But back then, like, as I said, I was just doing everything I could, like everything. I was like turning up anywhere. That yeah, where, wherever anyone would have me play, I would turn up and play. And I don't think there's much strategy in that, other than just like, I don't know, throwing loads of darts at a dartboard and seeing which one goes. Well, something hit bullseye, that's for sure. Yeah, thank you.
1: Um, tell me about uh, the live, the live show. So I, I want to talk about the just for, for the musicians in the audience, the the songwriting process, and then how that transfers to the live show. So when you let's start with the songwriting process. You know, obviously you write on a guitar. Mm. Um, do you what software do you use? What are your sort of tools of choice in the studio?
0: See, my, one one of my biggest regrets in life was never learning how to engineer myself. And I think like if anyone if anyone here doesn't know how to, please learn because it's like now I I I I write songs just with a guitar in my kitchen or whatever, and I'll have, like, a a recording device, whether it be on, like, an iPad or a laptop or or whatever. But I think the ability to be able to engineer yourself... I I worked with um, uh, Travis Scott the other day, and uh, we were in the studio, and he has a mic in front of him and a computer and records himself, and then edits himself, all himself, so he knows exactly what he wants, and he can do it quickly. I remember watching him just being like, I wish I'd I'd learned that. Um, So, yeah, uh, in terms of that, I mean, I I have an engineer in in London that I I employ, but I think it's much better if you can be your own engineer, basically.
1: So, talking about being sort of self-sufficient, you're self-sufficient on stage. Yeah. I know you do do some shows with the band, many TV stuff, Mm. and I read somewhere that you're a bit Paranoid might be the wrong word about being on stage with a band. Is that is that true? What are your reasons well, for just, doing everything on your own?
0: i never played with a band, ever. I mean, I've done, done the occasional TV show with a band, um, but that's more because the TV show didn't trust that I could do it solo, um, if I'm honest. But uh, yeah, I kind of, you know, w- when I left home, I had a, this thing called a loop station, which is basically, you, if anyone's seen me play before, you, pl- you plug in your guitar and you can record little loops, so you essentially make a song on stage. So I had that from uh, an early, early age, and I was always gigging with that. Never had a band, and then when I got signed and started Selling out bigger venues, I was like, I should probably get a band. But then there was no time to rehearse. The gig was just there, and I was like, Oh, I'll just do it. And then, you know, we played like a little 500 capacity club, and then it was like a thousand, and then it was five thousand, and then it was an arena, and then it was Wembley, and then it's it's kind of like there's no point at that if if you can if you can hold people at that level, then there's no point. I I think I do think this is my last tour with a pedal, though. I think I think it's time to introduce some sort of band still like still still loop but have songs with band and songs without band and i think yeah i think i've reached the glass ceiling now if you want to listen to these conversations live and have access to this incredible community you can join us at our physical campus the bridges academy in langa south africa a revolutionary learning space where you will find courses on music entrepreneurship film djing and much more for more information on how to apply, visit BridgesAcademy.org.
1: When you come off stage, what what are the triggers that make you feel like you had a great show? Uh
0: I don't I don't know really. It's um, you know, I d- Joe Berg the other night, the second night, because Sundays are usually the worst gig, because Sundays are the, the day that people are like, oh, we're going back to work tomorrow. And we're like, yay. Like Saturday's usually the one, but Sunday for some reason was just electric. And I think it's when when you're on stage and, you know, I I sometimes get quite tired towards the end of the gig, but when it kind of comes to the end of the gig and you're like still wanting to do more, you're still like, oh, I could go back. I think that's when you know it's a good gig. And also when you get back and you just, it's like a buzz. It's kind of like a drug, I guess. It's kind of like a big endorphin release at the end of a show. And I think when it's gone really well, you're just kind of there buzzing and takes a while to come down.
1: I guess there's a lot of pressure. You know, you're the only person on stage, there's no one to turn to, and it's just you and this audience. It must be quite a lot of, do you feel that pressure
0: or do you I feel get, quite comfortable with it? People say that to me a lot, but I don't know any different. Like I've, I've every, every single show I've ever played has been just me, so I don't really know any different, really.
1: How do you keep grounded? You know, you're, you know, everyone talks about your meteoric rise, and you know, if you actually unpack it, it it's taken some time. You know, but yeah. it is—it's been quite phenomenal how it sort of got to a point, and then just this snowball effect just seemed to happen really fast. Mm. How do you? How do you? You know, you seem like a very grounded, um, honest, uh, down-to-earth individual. Like, how, how do you? How do you keep that space, or is it all a facade? <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh- you know what? I have, I've, I've had my moments. I still do have my moments. You know, it's quite, it's a very, it's a very weird foreign place to be. You know, as a, as I said, like the town I grew up in. It's like, it's not, it's not like growing up in London, where people from your area would go and get big and famous and footballers and whatever. It's, it's, it's very. I've, I've, I find it really weird. And there are definitely some occasions, especially at the beginning of my career, where. I, thi- I think I was a bit of a dick. I definitely like, I look back on certain things I did or said and I'm like, oh God. So I like, I'm not perfect. I've definitely, I've definitely had, had my moments. But I think, um, you know, I don't, I don't really have yes men around me. I don't really have any new friends. They're all like Zach here who's taking photos. He's like, I went to school with him. I've got four other people on, no, three other three other people on the tour that work, work with me that are from school. Like you, and that's, very, my, that's
1: very hip-hop. <laughs>
0: yeah. And my, my tour manager has done me from the very beginning. My manager's been with me since like 2009. Like, like everyone was there pre, so you can't really get away with stuff. You know, I think, I think if I was having a new team every other year, I think I probably would turn into a dick because I'd be like, I want this and I want it now and then it would happen. But if I say that now, they'll be like, no. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> so yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, and I'm very close with my family. Very, very close. My, as I said, my parents are out here and my brother's like, my brother's a very no bullshit kind of guy as well. Uh, so yeah, I think I, think I just, I, early on I got called up on it a lot and then I think it settles you down a bit.
1: Yeah, surrounding yourself with the right people and the right team, I think yeah. is key to success. Well,
0: well, and also I think success you know, if you're truly, truly having success, you don't have to act like that. If you, you know, it's like all the nicest people I've ever met were the most successful. Like someone like Paul McCartney is just a really, really lovely bloke, and you can see people at the top. I think when people turn into dicks, it comes out of insecurity, and the the the, the insecurity comes from wondering whether you deserve to be there, you know. And then you kind of like try to put people down to keep keep your mind like, oh no, I am actually, and yeah. So I think it's. I think it, I think it's just being sure that you know if you work hard and you be nice you'll get somewhere
1: the world the world's going through you know quite a crazy part of its evolution uh, in terms of there's lots of change we were talking earlier on about ai and robotics and, and 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 the way people are changing and there's a lot of struggle still going on do you do you use do you, do you are you open to that do you do you perceive that you think about that or, or do, you work, do you do you sort of exist in your own space uh, and, and do you feel that... Because your music is very honest and, and talks to people in a very honest way. And is it something that you, you consciously do or is that just who you are and how it comes out?
0: Uh, I think, yeah, with, 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 with music, it's just, it's just how I'm feeling that, that day. But in terms of like being aware of stuff, like I don't know. Because it, it's quite easy to be in a bubble. I did a tour for the Multiply tour which is my second album and I just spent the whole time in a hotel room and I didn't I didn't really like read the news or anything and just for like 2 years of my life played a show went out and got drunk went to bed played a show and like I come, came off that tour like not really I hadn't really seen any of the world I wasn't really aware of anything that was going on and so on this tour and between in, in I I spent some time traveling uh y- you know I tried to actually get out and see things See, you know, coming, being, being, being able to come here and do a talk and actually meet people rather than just staying in a hotel and watching movies and stuff. It's actually, it's, I think it's good to get out and experience the world.
1: You know, we have a, a, obviously a very complex history. Um, and the, what, what amazed me was, uh, an, an, you know, as much as music can unite us as people, it can also divide and polarise us. Um, And there's a degree of polarization here through music. There are areas and and pockets that that unite, but also a lot of polarization. What what blew me away was when you came on stage at Global Citizen, and it was pretty much, you know, in this country we often talk about black and white. It was pretty much a 99% black audience, and people went absolutely crazy. Um, and it just reminded me you know with with bridges uh, we, we we try to use music to facilitate you know the, those kind of breakovers do you have a crossover audience globally uh, how, yeah, how does I mean, that compare yeah
0: i mean my crowds are like it's it's weird because when i first started first started touring when i said i was doing those kind of 200 capacity venues it was all dudes it was all like 19, 20-year-old dudes who just like beer and and then like and then when I got on the radio it started being girls started being young girls sort of like from like 14 to, to 20 and and the dudes and then as it got bigger and bigger it sort of now at a show I remember where was I playing in, in America and there was this like elderly couple that must have been in their 80s on date night and then there's like a dad with his like four-year-old daughter on the shoulders like it's such a wide variety of people now but i think music's one of these things it doesn't music doesn't care about any you know class or race or anything it's like it's all people can all enjoy the same thing it's it's and it's an amazing thing to play shows and see people from all walks of life all forgetting about anything and just enjoying one thing together you know they they're all in the same boat because they're all standing together, enjoying the same thing, and it's quite—it's—it's it's quite a, especially like w- w- when we toured America. America's going through, you know, quite a, a tough time at the moment in terms of like people not getting on, and uh, you know, it's—it's it's amazing to do those shows and see, even if it's just for two hours, everyone kind of forget about that and just watch one thing, you know.
1: Your rise and and other people like Adele and who have really kind of stripped music back to the core, uh, and it's all focused on really on songwriting and songs. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, there's obviously songwriters and stuff that have come out of the States uh, and in, in different areas and genres, but there seems to have been this real uh, surgence of the sound from the UK. And, and you know, if you often compare the UK and America, America is kind of big and loud, and, America, and, and the UK is a bit more sort of reserved. Do you think that the, the culture of the UK has has had an impact and influence on this this sort of style and this honesty in the music coming out of the country.
0: Uh, I had a conversation about this the other day because I, I have I have a theory on this. Like America's like you know fifty states and they're all huge. Like Texas is like four times the size of the UK. California is the size of the UK. Um, so to find success there, you have to be, you have to like really work really really hard and go around and go around. So success in America is basically. Now it's a bit different with Spotify and YouTube and stuff, but back in the day it was basically who had the money to fund the artists to go around and promote. Whereas England, you've only really got three main radio stations, like really, and if you get on one of them, you can have success, and one of them is publicly funded, so they have to have all different types of music on it. You can't just have pop music, you have to have all different types. So that's why you would find One Direction on the same... Uh, thing as like Wretch 32, and then Skrillex would be on there as well, and then bring me the hor- Horizon, who are a, um, a rock band. So, so you can f- you can have a very diverse music taste in England because except when
1: you have 16 tracks on the charts, yeah, like you did.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, except except then, but uh, but yeah, I think I think in 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 England, like for me for me to find success in England, my first song was a song without any drums uh, about. A prostitute, like that, that's what the song was about. And I remember going to America and American radio being like, "We can't play this." But because it was a hit in England, we had a little bargaining tool. We were like, "Oh, but it, you know, it was sold this much in in England." And then I think, I think because the and that, the public radio was the first people to take that chance with me in in England. Um, yeah, I think I think so. I think because in England, it, it has to be diverse on on the radio. It allows more things to break through. You can can have a band like Mumford & Sons, you know, when Mumford & Sons first came out, you can't imagine that being played on pop radio, but because it was given the chance by that English radio station, then suddenly it's a pop radio band, you know? So I think that's why English music has always been pretty interesting, because the people that break out are given the chance, basically.
1: It's a very different structure.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm going to open up for a few questions in a minute, um, but I just wanted to ask you about, you know, we're obviously an education uh, school, um, what are your opinions on, on music and education and the, the power for music to inspire and take young people who aren't necessarily excelling or interested in school and give them meaning in life and give them a direction?
0: Well, it's quite interesting, because in, in England they've actually cut arts from education there's like you know it's like now they've they've it's just barely any money going into the arts now and it's I, I what the interesting thing i find is there's still this thing with any art whether it be photography or music or filmmaking or uh, being a radio dj or painting that it's this very archaic view on it that it's just for people that will waste their time and you won't make any money doing it and i remember when i was leaving school to go and play music so many people went off oh, all right. Okay. Get a real job yeah, first. Yeah. yeah. And what I don't understand is like, it is a real job. Like, it you know, music is a massive fucking business. It's a billion billion dollar business. It's uh, and I, I don't understand why in in school especially they don't go okay like, you might not excel at uh, science or maths or you might not even be good at music. But if you're interested in music, you can get a job in music. You can go and you can work, go and work at a radio station, or go and work at a record label, or go and work in a re- recording studio. It's like it's viewed as such a like a, a job that wasters would do. Whereas like you know, all of my all, all of the people that I work with make a living doing it. All of them. Um, yeah. So I think it's uh, it's it's changing changing people's view on it. Um,
1: Cool, two more quick things. Um, do, you, do you have any rituals? Do you meditate? Do you make smoothies? Do you do uh, backflips? Anything that you can tell us about that keep you so grounded?
0: Uh, God, well I used to chain smoke. I don't know if that helps. Um, but I, I gave that up, I gave that up. I don't know, I, um, I tried to exercise a lot. I was never a big exerciser. As I said, I would do a show and go out to a bar and then fall asleep in the hotel and I just never, exercise and I think um there's a lot to be said about clearing your mind and also being away from a screen even if you go on a run for half an hour you just think rather than think you actually you actually think about things um yeah so I think exercising is key for um just having a clear mind
1: I absolutely agree. Um, and last thing, um, and, and this is not meant to come across in a, in a, as, an, as a question that you would answer from an arrogant perspective, but do you have a, in your mind, is there an edge here in legacy? You know, in 10, 20 years down the line, do you want to look back and, 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 and is, is there something in your mind that you want to have created, a movement? Uh, or, yeah?
0: not, re- not personally, no. Like, I don't really... I don't really I don't really care about me personally because I'm like I am enjoying what I'm doing and I'm I'm enjoying playing. So there's a legacy in my head for me and just like what what I've done per yeah for me. But in terms of like what I'd like to leave like I you know I I uh, got to spend some time with uh, uh, Sean Mendes over the last like few few years and he, the, f- the first thing he said to me was like the first song I learned on the guitar was the A-team and he's now gone on to become this massive Musician, and I love the fact that you know I was inspired as a kid by Damien Rice. He's why I first started r- writing songs, and I I know how much that did for me. And I I think for for legacy, every time I meet a kid that is like I now write songs, that's for me is the best legacy to leave. I think, yeah. But I do, but that doesn't necessarily that's not kind of my legacy because they could be inspired by me and someone else or like maybe like one song that I've done. But it, it, I think it. Even if in 50 years' time there's like 100 people who are like, I picked up a guitar because of him, Like that's, that's the legacy I'd like to leave. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as we do making them. Remember, if you'd like to attend any of these workshops live, enrol in any of our upcoming programmes. To support the work we do, you can find more information on bridgesformusic.org. Please don't forget to subscribe as we'll be bringing new inspiring conversations soon. Until next time, keep safe.